0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church, serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family, equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. So, as we talk about attitude, let me ask quickly, how easy it is for you to forget that you're a child of the king of kings. How quickly do you get spun out because of things that you read, behaviors that are going on in your life, uh, setbacks in whatever area, health scares? How quickly is it for you to forget that you were privileged to enter into a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the king of all kings, The universal sovereign. And his reminder to you is to be his faithful servant. How hard is it for you to stay on track? All right? Well, I'm suggesting to you uh, one of the reasons that Mark is even written is to remind you and I to stay on track, to stay focused. It's very easy to become distracted by what's going on in the world today. And so we're looking at Mark from just the slice of Mark 15. And I told you that last week. um, If we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, we have the information that Matthew gives, the information that Mark gives, the information that Luke and John give. So we have four different perspectives, if you will, that same truth from four different angles. And one way to gather that truth together is to look at all four of them, create a harmony, and then to discuss what Jesus Christ did for us from the perspective of all four. Well, it's another thing to look at just one of those perspectives, because you're not going to get all of the details. You're not going to get everything, but you want to know the, the real reason. Why did God allow Mark to stand at that spot to write the history of the crucifixion and the perspective of the crucifixion? And I believe with all my heart, since, since Mark is trying to write, or will be writing to men and women in Rome who will go through a hard time of persecution with Nero, to prepare them, because Jesus Christ himself had to stay focused to what he was doing. Family, understand from the very beginning of Christ's ministry, there's been effort to distract him. Satan says in Matthew 4, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you all the world. It'll be a great world. But if he did that, there'd been no redemption. You and I would had a great world today. We'd have liked all of the world leaders. We'd have liked whatever person, political party you agree or disagree with, but we wouldn't have redemption. So the, the story wouldn't be complete. Jesus Christ stayed focused. And we began to look at the, the, the things that kept Jesus Christ focused, and the distractions that were offered to him. And family, we reminded ourselves of them last week. Uh, We said first that there will always be people who reject. And I don't know that, for me personally, uh, anything that quite distracts me, quite like reading the intellectual or the, the key people of the world who reject Jesus Christ as Savior. It's like, well, well, they're smart enough. They should understand this, and yet maybe I'm missing something because they reject. There's always going to be people who look at the evidence and come to the wrong conclusion. Uh, the, the key man in the story today is Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest, and he chose to be an enemy of the Lord for status' sake. He would have rather had his position, his financial influence, and his, his understanding of the world order rather than being a part of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and there, there's always going to be people who are shocked but impressed by Jesus. And again, they can influence me to take my eyes off Jesus. Gandhi was very impressed by Jesus Christ. Gandhi said this, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. He later said, I've not been able to move beyond the belief that Jesus was one of the great teachers of mankind. And so you'll find people who really are impressed with Jesus. I mean, they really can't figure out his, his moral excellence. They cannot figure out his, his academic prowess, the teachings that he gave on, on love and loyalty, on service and care for humanity. They're very impressed. But when it comes to this statement that I am God, they want nothing. They want no part of it. And again, when you see that they're Influence within the world stage today. If we're not careful, I think we move our eyes away from being kingdom people to just trying to keep quiet and, and make our way through the planet. And then we looked at, at last, and that simply is this. There are people who want the quick solution rather than the correct one. Now, I said this because I wanted to avoid... The political ramifications to this. But we talked about Barabbas and Jesus, and Barabbas was a political figure. Charles Colson or Chuck Colson said this, um, and some of you now are too young to know ancient history. Chuck Colson was arrested under the Nixon administration, also ancient history for many of you today. He was a president year or two after the Civil War, okay? But as Nixon was caught up into the Watergate controversy, Chuck Colson was one of his chief hatchet men. Chuck Colson went to prison, and in prison finds Jesus Christ as his savior. Chuck Colson says this, Christians should never have a political party. It is a huge mistake to become married to an ideology, because the greatest enemy of the gospel is ideology. And so, we're simply reminded that the worst thing we could ever want is to put our our hopes in a political person who's going to fix America. But if he doesn't fix the hearts and souls of men and women who live here with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will never have a long-term eternal fix in a person's life. And so... All of these efforts on the part of what's going on in and around Jesus' life as he goes through the trials and into the crucifixion moment have a real impact. But in this moment of time, he's going to give us an incredible example for keeping our eyes off the ideas that are going to diminish our trust in his working in our lives. So we're going to run through the rest of the eight this morning, and I want you to notice there, there are people who abuse a Savior they don't understand. And you're going to meet people who are far less knowledgeable about Jesus Christ than you. You can teach them the history of the Gospels. You can teach them the impact of Jesus And in fairness, they know nothing about Jesus, just as you know nothing about President Nixon. And yet they're going to be disparaging. They're going to be unkind. They're going to be cruel. Now, we're going to jump into a text of Scripture, and I want you to come and join me in Mark chapter 15. We're going to begin reading in verse 16. We're going to read to 20, and then we're going to jump ahead. I want you to see all of the participants who are belittling Jesus. So it says this, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. And they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Verse 29 takes up the story. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of, the, of Israel, come down from the cross that he may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled. Family, do you ever live in a situation or enter a situation at work, at home, uh, among family and friends. You ever, you ever in a situation where you said, I am going to be a consistent Christ follower, and someone began to beride or belittle who you are as a church attender, who you are as a Christian, and all of a sudden, it diminished your confidence in the reality of the cross. So Jesus Christ now enters into this moment of time. Jesus Christ has been just told by Pilate that he's going to be crucified. In order to prepare a person for crucifixion, they first first tore the body down. So he would have been beaten with a cat of nine tails. We were told in Scripture in Mark that he was scourged. In that scourging, I want you to imagine for a moment they put now a purple garment on him. Most likely, this is the cape of a, of a higher-ranking Roman soldier. They put the cape upon him. Can you imagine, having now been scourged, what is happening to that bleeding back as it soaks into the garment? He now has laced a crown of thorns, is put... And then now, Scripture tells us, beaten onto his head. And as he stands there in humility, they humiliate him. But I just want you to understand the moment in time. They have some inkling of who they're talking to, but they don't get the bigger picture. One of my favorite verses in all of the Gospels is John 18, 6. And let me set the stage. It tells us that Jesus walked to the front of the crowd after after Judas kisses him. And he says, who do you seek? And the head of the Roman group called a cohort, potentially of 500 men, says, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And they then respond, and he says, I am, and our text of Scripture has he. Cross out the he in your translation. He says, I am, ego e I am. And he knocks all 500 soldiers who are there to arrest him over with nothing more than that statement. Now, the idiots step up, And say, (laughs) put handcuffs on him. They should have put a gag on him, really. If his power of words are that potent. But now, tied, beaten, crown of thorns on his head, they begin to mock and berate him. Hail, Jesus, King of the Jews. They spit on him, they mock him and they bow in front of him. They have no idea who they're addressing. And family, again, for the sense of distraction, had it been me, I'd have ended it right there. Jesus Christ went to the cross, undistracted by the humiliation. We have a simple group of people here. It says the unnamed crowd ridiculed or berided him. Family, this shows us the length of time that some people went and held their hatred in. He he is berided for saying that he will destroy this temple and in three days raise it up. The first time he says that is more than three years ago. And it's at this moment in time, having seen the miraculous, men and women healed, possibly being in the crowds for the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, that they look up to him and say, come on down. You, you said you destroy the temple. What power do you have? What authority do you have? And they made fun of him. We know the chief priests and the, and the scribes. We won't spend time. But again, even the last two knuckleheads that we see in this story, the, the man right and left of the cross beride Jesus Christ uh, as if he was just one of them. And I love how they would have stated it. Come on down from the cross. Oh, and take us with you. Well, they know what's happening to them within a few hours. Family, there will always be people who don't understand who you've accepted as Savior and Lord. But the question is, will you allow them to distract what you believe and who you are and who you trust to be caught up into just living life without confidence of a Savior and the priority of Him in your life. Every experience you have that diminishes your confidence to the promise of salvation, every time that you fail to trust He is listening, Don't let the idea in. He is right. He is worth it. Family, we have a a moment in time. I told you that Mark was written for men and women who were about to be persecuted in Rome. I talked to you last week and, and shared with you the idea that Nero accuses them and begins to persecute them. After a while, This gets so ingrained within the culture that they fast forget about the idea that the Christians are accused of destroying the town. But they now generalize it within culture to say that the real reason they're persecuting the Christian community is that they're hating humanity. And the reason that they hate humanity is because they won't honor their emperor, and in doing so they don't honor the community of Rome itself. So because they hate humanity, they're deserving of death. It would have been very easy for them to simply say, we don't hate humanity, we love humanity, and begin to change their dialogue to avoid persecution, but in doing so, they would have diminished who they were as Christ followers. Family, if you will, I want you to notice our fifth reason. People will find unspeakable good from embarrassing moments. I love this moment in time. We now get to see the beginning of change and finding encouragement. But have you ever been in... An embarrassing, a fearful, a threatening moment stays faithful to the task. And family, we're placed in moments of time that's important for us to remember. Here, our Savior was scorned by His own, the nation of Israel. They have berated and ridiculed Him. He has just seen Pilate wash his hands of Jesus as if Jesus wasn't significant. Just put him on the cross and don't be, let me be bothered by this political struggle again. Get rid of him. He is betrayed by his own followers. Jesus is completely exposed to humanity's sin. And now he senses his complete separation from the Father. And in this, Jesus teaches us the lesson of perseverance. Family, having been redeemed, some of the greatest things that we can do as redeemed people is move forward when all we know is where forward is. And what I mean by that is simply this. When you and I have Scripture, we know true north, all right? Whether we sense God's presence or not, having Scripture written in front of us, promised to be the very breath of God, we know that the Bible's path is true north. And there are times when not sensing the Lord the thing that must be done is to continue to follow true north until God's emotional, physical presence is once again felt in your life. I believe that the saints who persevere are saints who know Christ and they endure to the end. People persevere not because they're disciplined, they're tougher than any of us, but because they're relying on the mercies of God. We continue in faith because we have been preserved in salvation. Now notice what Scripture says. For the Christian, developing endurance is essential. It tells us the way is hard that leads to life. Matthew 7. It tells us in 1 Peter 4 that fiery trials most certainly will befall us. He tells us in Hebrews, you have need of endurance. And in Luke it says, by the endurance you will gain your lives. This is not because you're disciplined, but because you trust the mercy of God on high. For Christ, who ministered, he was waiting for the day that he called the hour to come. But even though he knew that, even though he understood that it was God's will, and that at Gethsemane, he became determined to go to the cross as the great God-man It still didn't mean that he always sensed God's presence, but he endured to proclaim, it is finished. In the same way, you and I persevere in the power of the Lord. So family, let me give you one last one, this. Oh, yes, the eighth. There will be oh no, seven. I thought we were near the end. There are people who discover salvation through the trials of believers. I hope you understand that there's people watching you. Years ago, as I've used Peter throughout my ministry as a as a trial of life. Family, we had a conversation at one moment of time with a man, Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown never expressed Jesus Christ as a Savior, as far as I know, but he would always listen, and it was one day that was really exhilarating. As he looked and he said, Pete, we're going to be writing about Peter for years to come. I said, what do you mean? He says, Pete, when most families have a son born like yours they don't get attached. Because in pouring love into someone that's going to get attached, it makes the grieving process that much worse when it comes time to see them go. We believe Peter is fighting harder. We believe Peter is working harder because you and Kathy are committed in your love to Peter to express to Peter your loyalty. And Pete, that is so evident to the rest of us who are going through. He says, it is your faith and that confidence that you have. He says, that's impressive. We're going to be writing on this forever. And all of that occurred just before the situation that ended Peter's life. There are always going to be people watching you that you have no awareness of of what they're doing. So let me come to this moment, verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now notice the juxtaposition. We're just talking about a curtain being torn. But notice verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. What must that centurion have witnessed in the last 12 hours? Well, most likely, he's part of the Roman cohort that got knocked down. As a centurion, how far up in the group could he have actually heard, I am, and then fell down and had that awareness? Where, where was he in the process of Malchus' ear getting cut off? Do you imagine that possibly he could have seen it As Jesus laid his hand on that ear and brought it back around and and healed it in that moment, do you think he was there? How much of the process he was there at the crucifixion? Could he have been there during the trial scenes with Pilate? Now at the crucifixion? He had been there as people divided up his clothes. He, He recognized how Jesus went through this all. And then in the moment had the capacity to command his soul, it is finished. And he entered into eternity. And when this man saw the testimony of Jesus and the evidence of everything that he went through, the only thing he could say is, surely this man is the Son of God. Family, understand, never lose sight of who you are in the moment of time that you're living out who you are in Jesus Christ. Someone's watching. That someone may be your children or your grandchildren. That someone might be the nurse or the attendant who's walking in and walking out. And they see what you're going through. And as they see what you're going through, your quiet testimony shouts to them, of who you follow as a redeemed individual. So Jesus Christ's testimony to the end shouted to the centurion, and in it he responded to the gospel. Family, now let's finish this sermon. People who are faithful when life seems... There are people who are faithful when life seems hopeless. Have you ever been encouraged by someone else in the church or another believer and how they've lived life out and sent you a card at the very moment you needed it, uh, called you up uh, and having, having known that you were going through a problem, brought over cookies or stopped by with a meal and said, here, we want to take care of you, or, or just simply showed up at the right time to encourage you in some aspect of life. I want, he- I want you to see these next verses of Scripture. Jesus just said, it is finished, and He dies. He breathes His last. But I want you to watch who's watching. Beginning in verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger, and Joseph. And Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So, family, I I want you to, to come back and think for a moment. Knowing that Jesus breathes his last in one verse, and in the very next verse, we have a summary of what's going on. Do you think Jesus found any solace and encouragement from a crowd of women who also were part of the group listening to him be berided? and maybe because they were identifying as Christ followers were berided themselves? As they were ridiculed, they just stood there and faithfully watched over ministering encouragement by just their presence. As Jesus went through what he did, and breathed his last. We find them standing, encouraging. Understand, you and I call each other by one title, family. What does that mean to you? If it doesn't mean that we are active encouragers in the lives of each other as we go through the variety of difficulties, then we don't grasp family correctly. Listen to First Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So family, as, as we come out of COVID, as, as we look forward to what's going to go on in the next few months of the history of CBC, you and I should be Reevaluating and recognizing, am I family? What does that mean? When you see a meal train and you know that it's aware, hop on it. Someone needs a meal. When encouragement needs to happen, you know there's just something still about snail mail, isn't there? That when you open up that card of someone who does nothing more than leave you a verse, and I'm praying for you. Or they take a moment and take a long thank you of how you encouraged them in teaching or in just being in the hallway or watching your life unfold and unpack. There's just something about that that's powerfully encouraging. Don't ever forget, just like there are people watching you, You have the responsibility to be watching brothers and sisters who are going through what they are going through and be ready to encourage. These women will always be remembered for being there at the very most difficult moment in world history. And Jesus Christ sends them an eternal thank you note. What a privilege. Never forget who we are. We're the believers. Never let life diminish who you are and how you work out life to God's glory. Father in heaven, be with us, dear God, as we finish off in worship. But, dear God, I would pray that this simply begin our responsibility to live out this week to your honor and glory i would pray dear god that you give us a little bit more determination uh, in eyesight dear god father when we see when we see life may we see it first through the evidential holiness of who we are in jesus christ father as we as we see the things that could discourage us help us to remember first we serve a sovereign god who's got all of the cares the ugliness that's going on throughout the world, than the disasters as in Turkey and in Syria today. We don't serve nature. We serve a sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent God, who through mercy invited us in to have a relationship with Him. And He did so not by forcing us to clean up and be good, but simply by embracing the work that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for our behalf. Watch over now, I pray, and allow us to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you!